Yes, good day to the show. What? Uh, I'm sorry, I fucked that one up. Sorry, boys. That's it, Bevo. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> good day, welcome to another show. And we've got a great guest today. We've got Clay McMath. <laughs> what are you laughing at, do you? Oh, <laughs> mate, I love this podcast. I love this show. Clay, welcome to it. <laughs> Thank you. It's good to be It's every goddamn thing. It's it's a pleasure to have you here, buddy, and Bevo, it's a pleasure <laughs> to see you too. You, you too, mate. It's always out of control. It's just loose on anything this show. Anything just happens, like, you know, it's which we all love, of course. Um, so, Clay, mate, so you're a, a stand-up comedian and also um, a movie reviewer. I will yep. get to that in a moment, but how do you know the big fella? Uh, oh, shit. When I used to play basketball as a junior for Sturt, I was in, I was in this like sassy team, South Australian Sports Institute. We had a guy in there called Keegan, who also played for Sturt. Keegan Brooksby, I think he's up at Hawthorne. Hawthorne, yeah, Brooksy, yeah. Yeah, so he, um, yeah, so these guys would always talk because they went to the same school and I'd be like, oh, who's, who's the big fella over there? And then just sort of, just sort of met him um, over at Sassy while we, we would always train at the same time. The big fella. Now, this is coming from a guy a smidgen under seven foot tall and about as broad as the doorway. Now, Bebo, I hadn't seen Clay for a few years. We obviously, yeah, we trained at the Institute of Sport together. Big fella for basketball, me for weightlifting. It's amazing how many people we've had on this show that I've, you know, been with at the Institute. <clears throat> and for those who don't know, like I said, Clay is a massive, massive dude. Like, just an absolute monster. Lovely guy. Funny as hell. But yeah, we go back a long, long way. We sort of had a little bit to do with each other through that and through school. And then I guess we didn't see each other for ages, like ages. Yeah, um, I, I disappeared for about 10 years, so. Yeah, and then I sort of got invited on to Welcome to the Potty, as I'll give a little bit of a shout out to Clay's uh, podcast. Yeah. And, um, you know, I like to call him the seven-foot Joe Rogan, man, like... Uh, Seven foot's a bit overstated. Six, six seven is uh, still fair. I've got a bit of growing to do. Clay, to me, you were always like seven foot tall because <laughs> I was short. So, you know what I mean? But he was, he was always, always just a lot of fun, man. And like I said, a superstar bowler, man. Absolute superstar bowler as well. So, you yeah, know, you played, you played overseas in America. Is that right, Clay? Yeah, five years. Oh, yeah. I did five years in college. Um, with, so, one extra year because I was, I was injured one year. Um, so I was over there for five years and then, uh, went to, came back to Adelaide when I uh, graduated and just tr was trying to figure out where I was going to play. Um, had a, had a little bit of bullshit happen with the 36ers. And then, um, the next day I got a call up from the Townsville Crocs when they were still active. And, um, after that phone call, I was, I was on a plane within 24 hours. Where? Did, did um, you get to play a bit of NBL as well? Pre-season only. Ah. Yeah. And, and so, <laughs> as we know, they went bankrupt. So, one of the, uh, the imports that played my position got injured. And instead of um, paying me to suit up, they played with nine guys. <laughs> oh, oh really? Yeah, just financial strife. Financial strife. A lot of guys that year weren't, weren't getting um, super put into their accounts and all types of bullshit. So. That's nuts. Considering I remember watching this guy 
steadily walk up to a basketball ring and dunk it like it was like going out of fashion, man. He was it was like a mic drop with a basketball, you know what I'm saying? Lifetime ago. <laughs> well, yeah, he's a big fella, like you said, Biggie. Um, six foot six, uh, so he's certainly, uh, you know, we can say white men can't jump, but. Um, black men certainly can, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I should cut that out, because black class. <laughs> one time, no matter how hard or how big my shoes are. <laughs> hey, how was the experience um, playing college ball anyway, mate? College ball, man, like, my, my experience is, uh, I don't know if it was unique or or what, but um, it, wasn't, it wasn't what I had uh, ex- expected, I suppose. Um, I, I had a, pr- a reasonable uh, freshman year, my first year, and they, they have something called the sophomore slump, which uh, I, uh, I guess I did experience, and then it was, sort of, it was sort of hard to claw my way back in to a regular um, playing position and once once I had I uh, I just I guess I'd lost the coach's confidence so if I ever made like one mistake like that was it I wasn't going to get back on for the rest of the game and so then I I started resenting my coach and things like, like this and we didn't have a really good relationship and by the end of my um, college career I was definitely ready to just come home and start the next chapter. My amazing when you were in the US or even when you played NBL here, is there any name that stands out to you that you played against or played with or have you got any sort of story of your time playing where you were like, well, I got to play on someone that's now a superstar or who was a superstar? Like I said, you, you played at a very good level here and, you know, like I said, it's, I'm sure over in the US there would have been plenty of superstars hanging around the place. Yeah, man. I played against a lot of dudes uh, that are in the NBA now. Um, so just to name a few, like CJ McCollum for the Trailblazers, Victor Oladipo, um, uh, I forgot which Zeller, Tyler or Cody Zeller, whichever one's the younger one. Mm-hmm. Um, Reggie Jackson, uh, Norris Cole. No. What was this like playing on these guys? Oh, I mean, it just depend, depended on the day, but like some, some of these guys you'd play against and you'd instantly be like, yep, he's going to the NBA. And a couple couple of guys were were surprising, um, but they they could all bowl, man. They were uh, they were all legit. Uh, and then I had the fantastic opportunity. We the school I went to, uh, Bryant University, we had a really good lacrosse program because I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Duke scandal. I don't even know what year it was. Um, there was there I guess. I get into it because I don't. I don't have a huge understanding of it. it was It was a rape scandal um, with the players in the team, and then the coach, I guess, got fired. And he was like the best coach of lacrosse, college lacrosse like ever. And he ended up going to Bryant to coach. So we got all these great recruits and had a great lacrosse team. Um, and there was a guy on the team called Sean Mullen, who was actually the son of Chris Mullen from the Dream Team. Oh, no way. So Chris well, Mullen is always hanging around our uh, school um, to see his son and to watch his games and stuff. And um, I was getting out of the pool one day, like just trying to get some cardio up. And he, he was in the lobby and um, approached me and 
knew everything about me, knew my stats, knew who I played with in Australia because uh, he was a huge St. Mary's fan. And obviously we had a lot of Australians that played for St. Mary's um, and I played with all those guys when I was at the AIS. So he was talking to me about them. And because we were in the um, athletic facility, he was like, oh, do you want to go shoot around a bit? So I went and shot with him and played one-on-one with Chris Mullen. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a great story. Yeah, that's that was really- awesome. Yeah, probably like probably actually the highlight of my whole career, and it wasn't even like with my team or anything, but it was just like it was just amazing. Unreal. Yeah, and, and the NBL stuff, crazy. mate, was that sort of before you went to the US or when you came back? No, so before I went to the US, I used to train with the Sixers, um, and that was when uh, that was under uh, Scotty McGinnis. No, is it Scott, uh, Scott Ninnis? Yeah, Ninnis, Ninnis, Scott yeah. Ninnis, um, and. Then I went, yeah, I went to college, came back and I started training with them again. And um, I won't get too, too into it because I, yeah, I don't want to badmouth anyone, but uh, I, I was supposed to sign a contract and um, it got, kind of got pulled out from under me on the day I was supposed to sign. Um, and Al Green, um, the famous 36er, uh, he's a good family friend of ours and he said, I'll make a call to um, uh, Sean Dennis up at the Crocs. He's a good friend. Uh, he called him and the Sean called me next, called me that same day and was like, can you get on a plane tomorrow? Oh, wow. Yeah. Unreal, mate. And then yeah, obviously, yeah, the situation happened there with Townsville. So, yeah. oh, um... <laughs> just good luck all around. Just my whole career has been full of um, just sunshine, rainbows, lollipops, all that good shit. Hey, but, but mate, like not many people can say they've been able to play college ball in the US. That's pretty amazing. You should be super proud of that. Yeah. <laughs> mate, it's, that's huge, man. You're playing their sport in their country. You're playing the elite sport. And, mate, not many people can say that they do that from South Australia. Like I said, you would have represented Australia and yourself and your family proud. I have no doubt of that. But... I guess leading on from there, boss man, you sort of did your time playing ball and then you just said before you went on to a new, I guess, open page of your life. Where did you go from there and what has sort of got you to where you are now? A podcast trooper, a comedian, a guy that can't read his timetable, doesn't know if he's meant to be there the day before or the day after. <laughs> yes. You know what I'm saying? Uh, um, well, I, I started the, I started the potty, uh, originally with a teammate in, um, Albury Wodonga, uh, my, my second year there. So I think, I think that was 2016. We started it. Um, uh, my, uh, Nana died, rest in peace. And I went over to New Zealand and because I had so much time on the flight and like driving through the country and stuff, I, uh, that was when I first really started listening to podcasts um, and uh, mostly, mostly comedy. I've always been a huge comedy fan. So I was listening to mostly comedy podcasts and I was like, fucking hell, I can do that. <laughs> and I texted Dante from my um, hotel room and I was like, dude, when I get back, we are starting a podcast. We, we'd kill it. And um, as soon as I got back, I bought, bought a microphone and we were just sitting in the uh like open plan kitchen dining area on the dining room table with sharing one microphone. And um, yeah, that's, that's where it all started. That's, that's amazing. So cool. 
and and the, and the com and the comedy side of things, mate. Um, do you have sort of like a I guess an influence or someone that you look up to that sort of got you into that? I uh, I remember I remember watching Foxtel with my old man. Yeah, just just when when I was young, and this comedian that nobody knows. Um, I, I'm yet to when I bring him up to even even all the comics that I've been meeting. None of them have ever heard of him, which is just astounding. Uh, there's not a lot of black comedians um, in the scene either, so that could be a part of it. But his name was Bruce Bruce. He was a big, fat dude. Um, he's in a movie called The Wash with Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre as well. And Wash, yeah, yeah. yeah he, um, he plays a security guard in that movie. But I just remember watching his stand-up uh, special on Comedy Central, and I just thought it was the funniest shit ever. And pretty much ever since <laughs> that, I've just had like a – a little part of me wants to do it, but I've never like been able to put the time in or anything just because of my basketball career. And um, when that had completely finished and I even played social for one season um, and my knees just couldn't even take that. And I was like, I'm not, not playing social anymore. Like what am I going to do with my life? And I was like, let's, let's, uh, there's no more excuses not to do comedy. So let's jump in. Yeah, man, that's so that's awesome, man, to see your life go from elite sports star now into, you know, elite podcaster and comedian, man. What I, I find it amazing, man. I always appreciate people that do things that I can't do, man, and, and being quick-witted and being very smart. You know, comedians are highly intelligent guys, man. Like, you know, you've got to be intelligent to deal with just on-the-fly type of stuff, you know, memorising stuff, but hecklers and dickheads in the crowd you know you've got to stay on top of that type of stuff man and so for you what would be the type of thing you do for a comedy routine how do you set this up without giving away too much um and i guess what what, what sort of goes into being a comedian man because like it's not something that you know people can do me and bevo try and we both suck <laughs> <laughs> i uh i'm more of a storyteller so i i just i pull on my personal experiences and put you know put a little bit of sauce on them and um, try and just like sprinkle some punchlines and stuff through. Uh, I have tried joke writing, um, just those quick like one line, and I'm just I'm just not good at it. That's just not my style. I don't. I I have massive respect for guys that do it, whether they do it poorly or do it really well, because I cannot even manage to write one. Um, and I guess. The, the, big, the biggest thing about comedy is, is writing. So just sitting down, writing stuff, and you really, you really don't have any idea whether it's going to work uh, until, until you do it on stage. So you might have a joke that you think's a killer and you go out there and it's, it just gets no response and you might have some little bullshit that you say that you don't even think is worth saying and the room might start dying and you're like, all right, well, I'll build on that. So it's just, it's just a whole thing is, you know, writing down your, whatever you think might be funny and then trial and error. You know, you're a, sto you're a storyteller. Yeah. So can I bring up a story yeah, <laughs> that is comical, but I'm sure you've never brought this up at one of your shows, but I think from now onwards you need to tell this story. So what was it? Probably two years ago, Myself and myself and Clay, I've done probably two pod, podcasts with Clay on Welcome to the Potty and I had an absolute ball on both of them. And I was pulling, I reckon it was the second time I was pulling the, the train 
and uh, was the world record attempt or the unofficial world record attempt. But, and the big guy shot me a message going, dude, I want to be there to support you. I want to come up, I'm going to come up with my other half, you know, to give you some support. And I was like, dude, you, you don't have to, man. Like it's, it was actually going to be a wet day that day. So I said, look, dude, don't, don't stress, man. He goes, no, 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 I want to come up, man. I want to give you some support. And I said, dude, bring up whatever you need to do. You want to do some stuff for the podcast while you're there. We'll do it. And I'm like, okay, cool. So Saturday the day before is always my chill out day. And then the day of the trade falls on the Sunday. Get a message at 11 o'clock in the morning. Hey, man, it's pretty quiet here. Where is everyone? I'm like, yeah, mate, tomorrow, you're early. Thank you for being <laughs> nice and early. But I've got to give Clay the beers about love. He actually left a family function in Arndorf. No way. <laughs> and I'm fucking like I'm spewing at my girlfriend for taking like taking too long. We're gonna be we're gonna be late. Hurry up! <laughs> so, so she she was fucking pretty happy with me when we got there and it was the wrong day. Um, <laughs> That's cold. Surprised you didn't knock you out, Clay. Yeah. Getting early, man. That's a great story, <laughs> hey, mate. I must admit though, um, I actually and Biggie wouldn't know this, but. I actually had an interest in doing a bit of stand-up comedy because I make my mates laugh by just being stupid. But one thing I really admire about comedians, um, you know, I was recently emceed a mate's wedding, for example, and I told some some great stories and, you know, got most of the room laughing, but there was a certain part of the room that just basically gave me nothing, like tumbleweeds. So how do you deal with those sort of people that, you you think it's a great joke and the majority of people will laugh, but then there's, you know, that awkward silence of people that don't. How do you deal with that? Um, you you die a little bit inside each and every time that happens. And um, you never learn to cope with it. And uh, <laughs> you start drinking. Yeah you, yeah, you get off the stage and you hate yourself and you <laughs> pour yourself a whiskey um, and you don't sleep that night. And you're calling sick for work the next day. That's what you fucking do. No, it's really, it's, you have to, you have to understand that, um, you know, not everybody in the room is going to think everything you say is funny and you just have to, you have to accept it. And I haven't, I'm, I'm coming up on my one year anniversary, I think on the 26th of September, but it's really only six months because of coronavirus. So uh, I'm not, I'm not by any means a seasoned comedian. I'm very much a beginner. Uh, so no, I'm not, I'm not used to that yet. And I hate it. Um, but you know, there's a certain level of ego that it takes to get up on the stage. And I don't think that it will go away if I don't make the whole room laugh. I think I'm always going to want to make the whole room laugh, you know? So I think if you don't, you have to just accept it. Sometimes there's going to be silence and you have to learn to be comfortable with silence. And I think I'm better with it than I was. Um, I remember early days, if I wasn't, if I didn't hear anything, I would, I would just, I'd start speeding up and, I'd be like trying to just get off the stage as quick as I could. Um, and last night, it was only my second gig back from um, since COVID. And there was a couple of punchlines that weren't getting what I wanted. And I managed to sit in the silence for a little while, um, which, which, was, which was good. Um, I, I managed to keep my, keep my own pace and not panic. And um, 
Yeah, so I, the, I guess the, in, in short, yeah, there's, there's nothing that you do. You don't focus on the people that are not laughing. Um, if they don't think you're funny, I mean, you just need to hope, hope they'll think the next one's funny. I don't know. Yeah, so you'd have to have a pretty thick skin, wouldn't you? Yeah. 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 That's, 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 that's really interesting. It's a real good question, Bevo, because, yeah, it's just amazing if, you know, you don't sort of, you're not used to having that sort of feeling of, yeah, sitting there and nobody really laughing or anything like that. But It's a bit different but, with, um, like, you, you might have some, someone that's real garbage go up before you and just suck all the energy out of the room. And that, now that, that's different. That's like a strategy. You need to really, you need to win them over. Um, if there, if there's a certain pocket of the room that that's not laughing at every joke, then, then maybe you need to focus your energy in that direction. But for the most part, like, yeah, you just try not to, not to think about it and just go on with your set. But yeah, if it, if, you know, if there's 50 people in a room and 45 are laughing, just let it go and play to those 45, I say. Yeah, great advice. I like it. <laughs> Mate, where do you go from here? So, I guess, me and Ben have chatted millions of times. The world is a, a funny place. It's just, you know, we don't even know if we're coming or going. We're very lucky we're not in Victoria. You know, it's, you know, we're a lot more open than anywhere else. And, um, you know, is there an end goal for, for what you're looking at? Like, is there a, you know, is there a show you want to do? Is there an event you want to be at? You know, I guess the question is, where do you want to go from here? And then, you know, what is next for you, brother? What, what's the go with you for the future? Hopefully my, once COVID starts to die down. I guess my, my ultimate goal would be to make my entire living from comedy and podcasting. Um, and where, if that's, you know, if that's 55 grand a year, I, I think I would be the fucking happiest person in the world. If, if that's all I'd do, um, and, and make that money, I, 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 you, you couldn't tell me shit, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know the a particular show. No, not really. Like I, I'd love to go on tour. Uh, and I, and that, that doesn't. That's nothing specific. I mean, I would love to go and do outback towns and, you know, bring a little bit of energy to mining towns or something like that or, or nice. do, do all the capital cities. I, I don't give a fuck. I'd, I'd like to just go on tour as long as, as, long as I'm getting paid for it because I'm not doing it for free. Yeah, what, what Actually, I would do it for free if I, if like I could go with someone, um, you know, more established than myself and go to open forum or something. Like, Bevo! <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that on a, on a serious note though, Clay. Um, back in late 2017, I, I took up a job. It was my dream job as a breakfast announcer on radio. And yep. I knew I was going to get a massive pay cut um, from previously working in a government job, which I gave up to be in radio. Uh, but I didn't for once regret it because I was doing, you know, my passion, what I loved. Um, we won't talk about what happened uh, with my radio gig because that's a whole, whole other story. But um, I totally agree with you and respect to you, brother. Like, there's so many people out there that just want to earn the big bucks, hating their job. But, you know, if you can actually do something you're passionate about, but not earn the money that you sort of might get by doing something else, then you're winning, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's, I guess that's just a personal preference. Like, some, some people would consider that losing, and that's, that's fine. That's fine for them. And they can, <laughs> hey, they, they can go out and provide and make, it, make six figures. 
<clears throat> good for them. Um, but yeah, my, I've, I've learned over my 30 years that, um, I mean, I've, I've made some pretty good coin in my day and, and been miserable. So, um, I'm, I'm at a stage where I'm comfortable, uh, doing just what makes me happy. Yeah. I, amen, brother. Yeah. Very important, my man. Very important. You sound, you know, you and me, obviously, um, Bevo is very much the same, man. We, we live ourselves and, and live our lives and enjoy ourselves and always hark back to Frank Sinatra and go, I did it my way, you know, not yeah. somebody else's way. You did it your way. Bevo does it his way. And, you know, it's, it's a nice thing, I guess, to sort of end on here is for people that want to do something like you're doing, you know, to do it your way because that makes it different to everybody else. And it means you're not the same and not a sheep like everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sheeple, sheeple. Everybody out there wearing masks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, before we let you go, I've got a bit of dirt on you, Mr. McMath. Yeah, how, how short are your episodes? <laughs> Bro, some of us have got to... I've got some stuff to do tonight. Now, I heard that... Now, we know Biggie used to be a security guard and, uh, you know, obviously before COVID, he was still helping out every now and then in the pubs and, you know, using his big guns out there. They're one of the best in the game. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I've heard from a little birdie that uh, you've been mistaken on more than one occasion for being a security guard, mate. Is this true? Oh, oh, everywhere I go. Everywhere I go. I'm... Uh, excuse me, where's the toilet? Where's the toilet? Dude, I was, on, I was on set at Mortal Kombat. I was a extra on the Mortal Kombat film. And um, I was I was a security guard. I was acting as a security guard. And in between takes, uh, actors, directors, fucking other other um, extras are coming up. Oh, where's the toilet? Oh, do you mind if I just go out here and have a smoke? I'm like, I'm, dude, I'm not a fucking security guard. I know I'm pretty good at acting, but like, get a fucking rest. And then. Uh, there's another another significant time was in in Melbourne. Uh, we went to this bar. I think I think it was called Fifty Six Bricks. I might be wrong, but um, I was I hit a bit of a wall um, and I, I took a seat. There was there was one more seat available. It was close to the door, and I sat down there. And this dude, this fucking dude, walks in and throws his coat at me. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And I, and I put it, I just like put it on the, on the bar next to me or whatever. And, and I was sitting down for a long time. Like I, was, I was done for the night. I didn't want any more to drink. Like I wasn't, I was low energy. So I sat there, I sat down for the rest of the night and this dude comes back and he's like, daps me up. And he's like, my guy, my guy, thank you, dude. I'm like, for what, man? He's like, oh, looking after my coat. I was like, who the fuck do you think I am? <laughs> Mate, that's what that's what you get for being so tall, so big, so good looking. Mate, you close to a fucking You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a great story. Now, shout out to to, to your good mate Steve Coon for uh, a bit of yeah, information right. there, mate. And I've heard also, um, before we let you go, that I think you've had a few too many drinks, so you get a bit emotional, Clay, and sometimes shed a tear, mate. Is this? Oh, right this is good. <laughs> this is great. Oh. Any any emotion, any emotion you want, it's coming. It is coming full throttle after a few beers. I'll fucking kiss you or I'll kill you, mate. We're having a, we're having a drink soon, Clay. I want to yeah. see this. I want to see this emotional side. I can see it. I'm gonna be 
carrying this six foot seven monster out of his bar with him wrapped around my shoulders crying. I, I want to see it, man. I love that. It's good stuff. Yeah, well, um, you know, let's let's go for a walk then and run into someone homeless and see if that pulls in a couple of my heartstrings. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I... On a serious note, mate, thanks so much for joining us on the Bevon Boogie Show, Clay McMath. Um, well done on your uh, basketball career and uh, all the very best with the comedy. Um, we'll follow your journey closely, mate, and we look forward to coming out and watching you. You're you, uh, showing you great stuff. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been a, been a pleasure. Thank you. Take it easy. You too. See you, guys. See ya. That was awesome, lads. Yeah. Fucking hell, Clay. What, what were you sitting down for? Went for a three-hour fucking show. Jeez. Oh, dude, dude.